0: What's up, everybody? I'm Mike DiCibato, and welcome to ESG Now. This is our weekly news-driven segment, the ESG Weekly, where we cover some of the big and small news in the past week, but with an ESG twist. Today, I'm covering the week of March 11th. We have two stories for this week, maybe the most obvious of which is Boeing. The tragic crash of the Ethiopian Airlines flight on Sunday, March 10th has led to the global grounding of Boeing 737 MAX 8 and 9 series airplanes, its newest and fastest selling model. But there's a lot to unpack with this story. Uh, The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration were the last to ground the airplane after basically everyone else in the world did. And the airline industry is structured as such there are really only two major players when it comes to building these airplanes. But there's also this interplay between automation and customer fear, particularly in the transport sector, that needs to be discussed. For the second story, it's an ongoing one, Lyft finally announced and released its IPO prospectus, where they detailed their mission statement and and what they're trying to do as a company. Uber said that they were going to finish the process in April. And in this case, it looks like these companies are the same on the surface. They're both poster children for the gig economy, which offer new ways for people to move from place to place. But the company's mission statements seem very different. So let's get into it. Our first story today, Boeing, has been all over the news, and the story seems to be a bit bigger than just Boeing itself. So to get some context, I talked to our aerospace and defense industry lead, Arna Klug, this week, and he laid out some of the obvious things to watch out for. First, he told me that Boeing's safety record is actually pretty strong overall. And while there will be some clearly defined impacts in the short term, and to be frank there already has been some major impacts in the short term, Arna thought that in the long term this could go one of two ways. Either there's a market overreaction now, the planes are patched and fixed, and Boeing basically recovers, which is possible with an industry that there are really only two major players. Or Boeing finds a systemic problem, like something that was overlooked which changes both the company and the industry. However, when I talked to Matt Muscardi, the co-host of ESG Now, he had a bit of a different take, and it was something a little more unnerving.
1: I mean, there there is no more human a response than abject fear to a metal tube 30,000 feet in the air crashing, right? So it's something you have no control over, no matter how small the probability might be that it actually happens but it, it isn't this crap. Isn't the, like that fear and that kind of visceral response to it. Is it? Is it a visceral response to? It's like a visceral response to automation, like mach- machines. It's not. It's not about the safety of the company. I mean, like, isn't the thing that could take down Boeing of? a
0: fear of the technology? No, I don't think so. I know what you're saying in terms of, will AI not be able to penetrate some of the things that we're hoping it, like, would you want to get surgery from a robot? Right, I think no. exactly. Even though that robot could be way more precise, you'd still kind of want that human there to for you, if you're not under amnesia, to look into the right. Even if you are under amnesia, you kind of want a fail-safe, and you think humanity is that fail-safe, even though they are not. <laughs> I don't know. I think I you think people robots? have I think that I think people have questioned the fly by wire, which is what they call flying mostly by autopilot. And I think the question is more so why did the pilots not have training to realize that the computer was wrong? Where because of AI there is an inability to see when an emergency happens what you need to do. But I think it just means that there's going to have to be better training with these AI systems being put in, with this more technologically savvy information. And the companies that don't do that are going to see problems like this. I yes. mean, but the problem is Ethiopian Airlines was a really good, is a really good airline. They pride themselves on their training. They say they want to this be the best the airline in this Africa. This is the thing,
1: right? Like, so the, it, just, it feels like to me there ends up being two major issues – One is this automation paradox and the human element, which we talked about last year. We called it the year of the human. And and even if the data on safety is good overall, fear of that automation may override it at the customer level. And two, you've got an industry in particular where it's so concentrated in just two major players that there's nowhere to go. So you're an investor like... It doesn't matter how irrational it is it doesn't matter if it's a freak of nature event or if it's a poor product build you there's nowhere to go there's no competition you're stuck like you either are in Boeing or you're an Airbus and that means it's almost like an industry that's too big to fail because there's only two players in it I think that's got to be in the
0: calculus right okay so I have two questions with Boeing first Will customers start to freak out when automation not only controls their lives, but also puts their lives at risk? And the others for investors, how much risk are you willing to take in a highly concentrated and highly sensitive industry? Our second story today, the Uber and Lyft IPOs. Uber and Lyft are ride-sharing companies, so each are paradigmatic of the growing gig economy and each seem to get their money or lose their money in the same way, from ridership. But the companies see its place in the world very differently. In its prospectus, Lyft focused on the company's mission, which is connecting people. Yet the prospectus also told investors that Lyft would be using a dual-class share structure. This is where the founders of Lyft would get outsized control over the company's board and the votes that direct said board. And but I didn't know if this was a good or bad thing. So I talked to Rick Marshall. He's our captain of corporate governance, and Rick pointed out that this is quite common for founder firms now every firm from Colgate to Campbell's starts off as a founder firm but they change as the companies mature in contrast to this is uber uber seems to be taking a more tactical or technocratic approach it's positioned itself as mainly a tech company trying to push the boundaries of autonomous driving and new economic models but in a twist to modern tech IPOs, Uber said it would not use a dual class share. But as Matt points out, they also don't have a founder.
1: Yeah.
0: How much of that is because of their
1: founders not there?
0: I, d- I don't know. I think right, it has to it, come is it, into play the dual, because... The
1: dual share class is always like pushed by a founder. It's always like, I'm the visionary behind this company. Mm-hmm you know like i need to retain control that's usually what's driving it zuckerberg or or you know google's dual class right like there's it's usually founders who are pushing for Mm -hmm. to retain control and because uber's founder got booted for all sorts of controversy there's no founder there saying like we need a dual class share structure i feel like as an investor i wouldn't even what you buy with the dual class like your willingness to go into dual class if you're if you're buying into the IPO you're not like a passive index investor when you're buying in you're buying the visionary and uber doesn't have that anymore uber's very strictly it's run already like a public company like it's trying mm-hmm. it had a move to be more like a mature public company while it was private because it had so much scandal. It started losing market share to Lyft because of, you know, all the problems. Didn't they just settle a lawsuit? They just settled the lawsuit, right? To like start to clean up pre IPO.
0: Yeah, it's for twenty million. And they also were just exonerated from a fatality with their autonomous driving, which they're investing heavily in, by the way. They're they're really trying to push the autonomous driving. But there is not strong evidence that this dual share structure is going to change. And I think if uh Lyft has success with it do you think other tech companies are going to look at this and say we want to retain our founders
1: for sure in fact what we we saw last year was indexes like the hong kong index or the exchanges rather like the hong kong exchange um they actually they were anti-dual class they didn't allow it and they've started to open up that conversation again to allow dual dual class because what they're finding is you've got these Chinese tech companies too that want their vision, their founders want to retain control and they couldn't do it in Hong Kong. So they were actually IPOing in the U S or they were listing elsewhere where they could retain that control and investors are willing to pay a premium for that, right? Like, because there is a, there's a, we know that there's a performance premium that goes along with dual class and it's not the dual class. It's the vision of the company. People are basically willing to overpay on vision when they think it can, come true. But the downside of the dual class is, and I think most investors don't think about this until it happens, is when something goes wrong, you have no recourse. There is nothing you can, you can't boot the board. You can't boot the CEO. All you can do is make phone calls and be angry. And if you're an index investor, and this is why a lot of large asset owners were were complaining about dual class shares on indexes. If you're an index investor, forget it. Like, you're just sitting in it. Like, you ride it all the way down. There's just inherent risk there, and you don't necessarily get paid off for that risk when something goes wrong.
0: So there you have it. Two stories to watch, two ESG considerations. I want to thank Arna Klug, Rick Marshall, and Megan Eastman for their contributions this week. We have some long discussions on tape that we're going to find ways to release to our clients so they can hear more from the experts, but there's more to come on that. I'm your weekly host, Mike DiCibato, and this is MSCI ESG's podcast, ESG Now. If you like what you heard, rate us, subscribe, comment. We love feedback, good and bad. And tune in next week. We'll have more content for you. Let's play a game
1: called Would You Rather. Would you rather tomorrow get in an autonomous Uber going from New York City to Washington, D.C.? About a five-hour drive, right? Four or five-hour drive. Or would you rather get in a Boeing Max 8 going from New York City to Washington, D.C.?
0: Would you rather... I think I'd still get in the Boeing. I I I do not. Those those autonomous cars—they just keep getting into crashes. Keep how many? I'd get to I'd get to Washington. So if if you had the statistics on autonomous
1: cars, come on.
0: Yeah, I think because of the environmental concerns, I'd get in the car.
1: Oh, we already flip flopped on would you rather. Wow, I thought you were more assertive than this. Like this is this is. How do you sleep at night?
0: I contain multitudes. Well, okay, you, you, okay, would you rather invest in a dual share class company that has a mission or a company that you have more say in that has a profitable agenda?
1: I can provide the mission. Give me the, give me the profitable agenda. I wanna be able to rip that board apart and put in visionaries. Hmm. I'm always for my freedom. Not somebody (laughs) else's.
0: You want to put Boeing on the board? Okay. All right.
1: I will put the entire executive staff of Boeing on the board of Uber. That's what I'm going to do. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940.